Amen. How are we doing, Salt Company? Great. great. You guys look great. I hope you know that. Um, if we haven't met before, my name is Jordan. How many of you, with a raise of hands, know me? All right. That's cool. Um, for those of you that don't know me, would it help you fill in the gaps if I told you I'm originally from Fort Dodge, uh, I used to wrestle, I'm currently going to CrossFit, I'm standing on a stage preaching a message. Yeah, you're probably starting to fill in the blanks and you're like, okay, I get an idea of who this guy is. He's a tool, he's probably run down, right? And he thinks, uh, he thinks that he gets it right and we don't. And if that's what you're thinking, you're wrong. You're actually dead wrong. Um, I'm just a little bit of a tool, that's true. Um, but for those of you that raised your hand and said you do know me, um, I believe that you genuinely probably do know a bit about me. If you spend enough time around me, you know that uh, I love Jesus. <laughs> I love to talk. I love my wife. I enjoy eating good food, reading good books. I enjoy sports, and I love to laugh. But actually, the reality is, if I were to say how many people really know me, it would be limited to a handful. And here's what I mean when I say that. When, when I say, how many of you know me, you do know me to a set degree. But the amount of people that really know me, that know my broken past, that know the hurt that I feel because of things I've done, because of things that people have done to me, the hurt and grief that I've felt in the loss of a parent, the emotional turmoil that I wrestle with every day as a foster parent that is just so in love with this little 10-month-old boy, very few people actually know who I am. And that's actually true of you, too. Very few people actually know you. And we deal with this day in and day out, right? You get cut off on the road, and you're quickly just like, painting this narrative and telling the story of who this person is that cut you off. Oh, you're such a whatever, fill in the blank. We all do it, right? You're not exempt. You paint this picture and the story of who these people are, but the reality is you don't know them. And when you're on the other end of it and people are throwing out assumptions and saying things about you, what do you say? They don't know me, right? They don't know my story. They don't know where I've been. They don't know what's happened to me, why I act this way. We are kicking off a series this semester called Encounter. And here's what it is. We are going to work through the Gospels, and we are going to get a clear picture of who Jesus is. And how we're going to do that is we're going to see people seeing Jesus face to face. And he's coming face to face with people that have struggles and victories just like you and me. And he is revealing himself to them. We get to see who Jesus is as he interacts with and encounters people. And I know that walking in tonight, we all have this idea of who Jesus is in our head. We all come in, maybe you're a skeptic and you're like, okay, Jesus made up or Jesus maybe a good teacher. Maybe you come in and you're like, yeah, I believe Jesus is God. I believe Jesus came to give me good things, to give me a prosperous life. 
the question I want us to ask and wrestle with tonight is, is it possible that you are getting Jesus wrong? Is it possible you're getting Jesus wrong? And maybe, I'll take it a step further and say, maybe you're not getting Jesus wrong, but is it possible that maybe you're just not getting a complete picture of who Jesus is? You generally know who Jesus is, but you're missing who he is altogether. So what we're going to do, we're going to dig into the Gospel of John tonight. If you have a Bible, if you have a cell phone with a Bible app, go ahead and pull it out. We are in John chapter 1. Anybody know who wrote the Gospel of John? Good guess, Mark. Love it. John. Weird. John was a disciple of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. And what he is writing about is his account of Jesus' life and ministry. John was one of Jesus' closest homies. He's like in the inner circle. And he actually is, in his own words, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right? Everybody loves saying, I'm the one that Jesus loved. But that's who John is. And he is writing to us tonight to tell us a story, a true story of uh, a guy named Nathaniel. And so we're going to start in verse 43. Jesus just gets done calling his first disciples. And in verse 43, it says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, the first two disciples that Jesus called, right? Philip was from the same town as them. So Jesus says, Follow me. Verse 45 Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And in verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. All right, what's happening here, there's a lot going on within that. First impressions matter, right? Anybody want to double down on that? First impressions matter? Uh, one of my first encounters with our SALT staff in an, in an interview, per se, we went out to Applebee's, and I got totally stumped on this question of like, Jordan, who's a musical artist you've been listening to lately? Guess what I said? Jeremy Camp. Okay, I'm, yeah, yeah. People can laugh at me. Maybe you love Jeremy Camp. I'm with you. But it paints this narrative. People are like, he listens to Jeremy Camp? Like, what kind of dude is this? And there was a little bit of, like, overcoming resistance to work through that first impression with staff. First impressions matter. And... With Philip here, he comes, Jesus says, follow me, and his first impression is, this is the Messiah, right? The Bible, the scriptures that were written thousands of years ago told me about this deliverer, and I'm seeing him face to face. This is truly our deliverer. This is the Messiah. He believes instantaneously, and what he does is he goes to his buddy Nathaniel, and he's like, you have got to come see this guy, Jesus. He is the Messiah, you have to come see him. But he says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael rightly replies, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because here's the deal. Nazareth was not a well-known city. It didn't have a good reputation, and it was not a prominent city. It didn't have a great reputation, wasn't 
luxurious. It was quite the opposite. 150 people lived there. Nothing was going on in Nazareth. And so Nathaniel's trying to wrestle with, you're telling me that this king of the world is coming from Nazareth? No way. <laughs> and his, his logic is reasonable, right? It would be like if I said to you, you guys, get this. The king of the world is coming from Mount Auburn, Iowa. Okay, anybody in the Union School District in high school or know of Union School District? Okay, Mount Auburn is in the Union School District, 150 people. And if I told you the king of the world is coming from Mount Auburn, you'd say, what the heck is in Mount Auburn? Nothing. They have a post office. That's it. Right? You would think, oh, maybe this Jesus would come from like New York or Houston or Shanghai. I don't know. Some giant prominent city that a king would come from. No. He's coming from Nazareth. And what is Philip's response to Nathaniel? Because Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Philip do? He starts arguing, right? He starts debating. He starts pulling out his Bible and saying, here's all the facts. Here's why you need to believe. Here's why Nazareth. No, he doesn't do that. <laughs> it's not what he does at all. What he does instead, he says, come and see. Philip doesn't need to debate. He doesn't need to fight. He doesn't need to persuade and prove himself right. He has seen Jesus for who he is. And all he needs to do to Nathaniel is say, Come and see. Come see him for yourself. And I genuinely believe that there are people in this room tonight that have come in and are skeptical. You are just like Nathaniel. You're like, who is this Jesus? Don't believe in him. No way he's the son of God. No way he's king of the world. And I would just urge you and press in to your resistance and say, are you willing to come and see are you willing to investigate and figure out if this Jesus is real? I get it. It's a crazy story. God creates the world. Humanity ruins it. God sends his son to earth to live a perfect life and to be crucified on a criminal's cross. And beyond that, he didn't just die. He rose again. He defeated death. You're telling me this is true? I'm saying yes, that is absolutely true. And you have reason to say, that sounds absurd. <laughs> because I'm, I was with you. I was in your seat, and I didn't come to believe this truth for myself until junior year of college. I was a skeptic. But as I was willing to just say, man, I'm willing to check it out and figure it out. Because people around me, I'm seeing their lives change, and I can't nail down what it is. I don't know why these people are different. I don't know why they're different than me. I don't know why their hope is in Jesus, but I need to figure it out. I need to figure out if this is for me. So I started leaning in. And my plead with you, if you're a skeptic, I'm not here to persuade you tonight. Would you just lean in? Would you investigate Jesus for yourself and say, is he really who they say he is? Is he really who the Bible says he is? And for you Christians in the room tonight, let me plead with you, stop fighting. Seriously, stop fighting. You don't need to defend Jesus. 
if he is your savior, you know it, and he does not need you to be a defense attorney. My discipleship group, group guys are probably sick of hearing me say this, but I tell them time and time again, Jesus does not need a defense attorney. He needs a witness, right? We are called to be witnesses in the world, and all that witnesses do is say, this is what I have seen, this is what I have heard, this is what I have experienced, this is what I know to be true. That's all they do. Christians, all you have to do is share the gospel and tell people, come and see for yourself who this Jesus is. That's all you have to do. You don't have to win fights. Be a witness. And we see Nathaniel respond to this ask of Philip, come and see. Pick back up in verse 47. It says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. So Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. You're probably like, okay, what the heck is going on here? Jesus says two things to Nathanael and absolutely blows his mind. He calls out who he is. He says, you're an Israelite, and he actually talks about his character. He says, in you there is no deceit. He's speaking highly of Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's just caught off guard. He's like, how do you know my name? And beyond my name, how do you know my character? And then Jesus says, before Philip even talked to you, I saw you under the fig tree. What Jesus was not saying is like, Dude, I saw you at Casey's, remember? Like, that's not what he's saying. He's not like, oh, I saw you under the literal fig tree. Fig trees in their time had significant meaning. It was a place of peace and security. And the phrase under the fig tree was actually commonly used by rabbis to talk about meditating on the scriptures. So what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel is, I saw you when you were meditating on the scriptures and praying. Nathaniel is less caught off guard because of Jesus just like seeing him in a physical place. He was amazed that Jesus was present with him as he was in the scriptures. And how does he respond? Verse 48, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What happens here is Nathaniel's personal encounter overcomes his pride and prejudice, right? His pride closed him off from even seeing Jesus for who he is because he's like, there's no way you came from Nazareth. He has this personal encounter with Jesus and he goes, okay, you're right. He is the Messiah. But what he says is, you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel. What is going on in Nathaniel's heart is he had public skepticism, but internally he was really wrestling. He was really seeking. And it's not super clear in the text if you're just reading it at surface level, but what's going on in Nathaniel's heart is he is a Jew under Roman oppression, and as he looks back at the Old Testament, this Messiah was a political king, so he thought. He sees Jesus and he's like, oh, yeah, this is the king of Israel. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. He's going to give me the good earthly life that I want. 
Jesus actually, we will see in the next verse, quickly rebukes Nathanael. And it's because he is seeing Jesus as a much smaller God than he really is. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Salt Company, we don't serve just an earthly king that gives you good things and a comfy earthly life. We serve a God that is so much bigger. He is so much bigger. And as I just think about the things like, man, do we reduce Christianity to just a self-serving endeavor? Is Jesus my way to a happier life? Finding a significant other, financial peace. No, wait, that's Dave Ramsey. Like, it, okay, why would I follow Jesus? Is he just my way to have good things and be happy? No, God is so much bigger than a cosmic vending machine. And hear me when I say, Jesus has come to do more for us than just give us happy friendships, dream jobs, kind spouses and big houses, he has come to resolve our biggest issue. We are without God. We are without God, and Jesus has come to do something about that. We see in verse 51, he piggybacks on this, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're wondering, what the heck does that mean? Great question. Flip to Genesis 28. We'll also have it up on the screen. Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament, this section of scripture in Genesis 28, where Jacob is having a dream. And it could be possible that this is the very text that Nathaniel was meditating and studying on, and that's why Jesus references it. But nonetheless, he refers to Genesis 28. I'll read in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Stone is a pillow, comfy. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. He's having this dream. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob is in awe 
after his dream because what he has seen is this personal encounter. God personally encountering him and saying, I am here to be with you and I am here to stay with you. And this bridge, this ladder, this staircase, whatever your Bible translation says, Jesus is telling Nathaniel, I am the ladder. I am this Jacob's dream come true. I am the difference between heaven and earth. I have come to close that gap. You want God? Here I am. That's what he's saying to Nathaniel. You want to settle for an earthly king? I am an eternal savior. You have been longing for God your entire life. You don't even know it. You need me, and here I am. I'm the ladder. You guys, Jesus Christ has done so much more than just give you good things. Jesus Christ came to give you God himself. Because you and me, we can't get to him. It's a fact. The Bible says that all of our best deeds stacked up on top of each other, they're like filthy rags before a holy God. He is holy and we are not, but that is exactly why he sent his son Jesus. He loved you and me enough to say, man, I'm not going to leave them the way they are. I want them back, even though they're enemies, right? You and me, we denied God. We spit in his face as he was on the cross. We chased our own desires. But God in his love, you guys, God in his love pursued us in Christ. And the miracle in this story with Nathaniel is not just that Jesus knew Nathaniel's thoughts. It's that he knew his thoughts and still came to die in his place. Jesus has seen you. He's seen where you've been. He's seen what you've done. All the filth, all the guilt, all the shame. And still, he says, I'm the latter. <laughs> I know that you have denied me. I know that you want nothing to do with me. But I love you to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to pay your price. I'm going to take on your pain. I'm going to take on the wrath of God that you deserve, and I'm going to rise from the grave so that you can know God. You can be in a relationship with God. It's this difference of do we want the what or do we want the who? I've seen this play out over the last several years around the holiday of Christmas. Lost my dad in 2016, and the who around holidays has become really, really important to me. But what's also been happening in my life is I've I've acquired nieces, little nieces that I love so dearly, and sweet cousins, and awesome family. And it's like, you ask these little kids, what do you want for Christmas? And they want the Barbie princess playset, you know, I want the Paw Patrol toys, love it, cool, good things. And then my mom is like, Jordan, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, yo, I need new socks, and my wife wants pots and pans, right? And then I say to my mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she's just like, man, I just want our family to be together. <laughs> because the socks 
they'll get holes in them. The pots and the pans, they'll start having the eggs stick to them, <laughs> right? The Nintendo Switch is cool for a year, and then Nintendo comes out with something different. But people, relationships, especially when you lose a loved one, you really start to see that the who matters a lot more than the what. And let me plead with you that Jesus has come for you to give you so much more than what the things he's came to give you God himself. And so the question that I want to ask you is, if you get to heaven and God is not there, would you still be satisfied? Because here's the deal, you guys. Heaven without God is not heaven at all. The Savior I have come to know, he is heaven being in his presence is fullness of joy. I don't care about the gold-paved roads of the mansion. Maybe you do. I get to be face-to-face -face with God. And Jesus, to me, who I have come to see him to be, he is God himself. And when I think about all the things that I've just been chasing after with my life, whether they be possessions or relationships, here's what I'm after. I'm after identity I'm after belonging, and I'm after purpose. Here's who Jesus calls you. If you are in him, he says, you are a son or daughter of God. You are beloved. You are a co-heir of the kingdom. You get to share in what God is doing. You get belonging. He welcomes you into this family called God's church. He says, look at this family. Look at these people that love and care about you. You belong to them, and beyond that, you belong to me. You're a part of this giant cosmic family of Christians. You have belonging here, and you have purpose. God has created you with incredible purpose. Here it is, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that can never be taken from you. Your purpose to glorify God and enjoy him forever is secure because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the same Jesus, always. It can't be taken from you, even if you flunk that class, even if your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks up with you, even if you lose a loved one, you can glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, company, my plea with you tonight is not to believe in Jesus because of what he can give you. You can believe Jesus with your life. You can trust in Jesus with your life because he gives you life. You can trust Jesus with your life because he gives you life. That is the reality. Without God, there is no life in and of itself. You are a dead man walking, a dead woman walking without God. But with him, you have identity, belonging, and purpose. What does this look like for us? Jesus is God. What does that look like? If you're a skeptic, your next step tonight, your next step over the next several days is to come and see. <laughs> Investigate it for yourself. What do you have to lose? Because to me, without Jesus, I'm saying I deserve eternal death, separation from God. And with Jesus, I have eternal life. I have heaven to gain and nothing to lose. So if I'm right, 
what do you have to lose in investigating it? I would plead with you to just investigate it for yourself. Get into the Bible. Start reading the Gospel of John and see Jesus for yourself. Come and see. Maybe you came in as a skeptic. You came in and you're like, man, don't know what Salt Company is. Was kind of hoping that they'd have food. They didn't feed me. Chick-fil-A was only for kickoff, sorry. Um, but you came in a skeptic and you're like, wait a second. This is different. <laughs> These people around me are different. The songs we're singing, the message I'm hearing, this has to be the Messiah. You can believe in Jesus. Nathan talked about it last week. Here's what it takes to, to be brought into the family of God. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you're saved. If you would say, I understand that I can't reach a holy God, but Jesus died and rose again so that I can be in a relationship with him. If you believe that with your heart, you can confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He is my eternal Savior and he is my King. You're welcomed into the family. And for those of you in this room that call yourselves Christians, I'm asking you to start to do a deep heart wrestle. That is going to take more than tonight. It's going to take more than this next week. Start asking yourself daily, why do I follow Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus? Because we have to stop settling for this small God, small Christianity mindset. Jesus came to give us God himself, the creator of the heavens and the earth, this is the God that we have access to. And if you believe it with me, our lives have to change. Not because of a rule, a list of rules to follow. No, because this God is worthy of our worship. And the thing that I've thought about as I've sat in this text over the last few weeks is if this God is real, is true, is good, is my Savior, is as big as I see him to be in the scriptures, my prayers are far too small. <laughs> I've been praying for small, insignificant things. I need to pray that God would change people's lives, that God would change our campuses, that God would change our city, our nation, our world. Won't he do it? Man, we serve a big God, and small faith and a big God can do really, really big things. Would we be a people that would get on our knees and start to pray big prayers to our God? And you guys, if we would do that, if we would see Jesus for who he really is, two things would happen. Number one, we would change. We would change. We would have a more secure hope a more steady peace. We wouldn't be shaken by this shifting culture because we have God. We have all that we need in God. And even if I get sick, even if I flunk the class, even if my friend moves away, you name it, you name the hardship, even if it happens, you have God and that changes you. And number two, 
if we would be people that believe in who this God is, the world around us will change in and through us. Through our prayers, through our big, bold prayers, and through our courageous witness to a watching world. If we would be people that would say, come and see. Come see this Jesus, this king of the world, the savior of my life. Come see him. We would see lives changed, not just for a moment, for eternity. Just this week, I have heard three stories of people going from death to life, people that were chasing their own desires and they experienced Jesus. And they're like, this Jesus is the Messiah. He is king. I believe in him. And their lives are forever changed. Would that be you tonight? And if not you, if, you, if that has already been your story, would you be willing to share this good news? You don't need to share anything about that presidential debate. <laughs> People are sharing it on Facebook. You don't need to share anything about that. You have good news to share. Jesus is king. That is the news that you can share. And I hope, Salt Company, that we would go from this place and actually take this God that we have and share him with other people. We can't hoard Jesus. Let's give people Jesus in the way that we live, speak, and act. Amen? Pray with me. God, you are so incredibly kind to us. As a group of people that have insecurities, God, have fear, have doubt. God, as a group of people that follow our own hearts, even when they're contrary to you, people that rebel against you, people that hate to follow your commands, Jesus, you came and you lived the life that we couldn't. You died the death that we should have, and Jesus, you rose from the grave to declare victory to give us new life in you, Jesus. You came to do so much more than give us good gifts here on earth. You came to give us God. In spirit, you live inside of us now to renew us, to open our eyes to truth, to, to give us a real and lasting joy that this world can't strip of us. God, I pray that this would ring true in the hearts of students tonight. That they would see you for who you really are, a big and beautiful Savior. Not just a magic eight ball to shake and get what we want. Give us what we need in a Savior. And God, would you allow us from the overflow of our hearts, from the joy that we feel and experience to to speak of you, Jesus, to share you, Jesus, with the watching world, to say, come and see this, Jesus, because you are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of our worship. Help us worship you now. I pray this in your name.